I'm Paul Wiegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host for today. Joining me in the studio are two representatives of Winterthur Museum and Garden and Library. Winterthur Museum, Garden and Library, got that right. Uh, Liz Farrell, the Manager of Public Relations, who's been with us before, and Linda Eaton, the Director of Collections and Senior Curator of Textiles, who I think this is your first visit to us, correct? I think I've been here once a long Were you here time once ago. Before? Okay, a yeah. long time ago. Well, it's great to have you back. Winterthur, one of those just cultural gems of the Brandywine Valley and uh, Delaware in particular. It's great having you both with us today. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. Uh, Liz, let's let's start with you. Uh, just a, a little bit of background about Winterthur for those people who, uh, I, I'm, I can't imagine anyone hasn't heard of Winterthur, but a little bit about its background, its history, Henry Francis DuPont. And... Certainly, yes. Um, well, Winterthur is a beautiful 1,000-acre country estate that was home to three generations of the DuPont family, including founder Henry Francis DuPont. Um, it's often referred to, uh, as you note, as a unique national treasure, and I have to say that we agree. Mm -hmm. um, there is a 175-room uh, Winterthur Museum, and that houses one of the premier collections of American decorative arts in the world. Uh, Winterthur has a 60-acre naturalistic garden. It is one of the oldest and considered one of the best of its kind uh, in North America. And within that is the three-acre magical children's garden in Chanet Woods. Uh, Winterthur also has a research library that serves as uh, serves an international audience as an academic center for the study of American art and culture. And we also have two on-site graduate programs offered in partnership with the University of Delaware, the Winterthur Program in Early American Culture, and the Winterthur University of Delaware Program in Art Conservation. And we are open to the public from March 1 through early January each year. So you just reopened uh, recently from a, a few months off? Correct, yes. Now, I, I'm curious, what does the Winter Tour staff do when <laughs> you're not open to the public? Well, um, I, it would be great if uh, we could you know, just get up on our workouts and things like that. But actually, <laughs> it is a hub and a hive of activity. Mm -hmm. We're all getting ready for the uh, opening on March 1. Uh, our major exhibition this year is uh, Treasures on Trial, which uh, Linda will talk about. And just a host of exciting garden programs, concerts, uh, winter tour after hours events for people to socialize and come and have some wine and view the uh, exhibition galleries. Uh, you know, we have just a host of things that we get ready for so we are actually really busy and of course point to point is coming up in may mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now as a former history teacher i have always been fascinated by winter tour uh, because i mean it offers so much to the visitor it's it's not only it's not only the estate and the decorative arts that are just exquisite but also a real lesson in history uh and, and then, you, as you mentioned, the, the grounds, what, 60-plus acres, I think you meant, you said? Yes, it has a 60-acre uh, naturalistic right. garden. Just beautiful, beautiful ground. So uh, no matter what your interest is, whether it's it's the artistic or the historic or, or the natural, it, it has all of that encompassed in that property. It, it's really quite magnificent. Now, wh what was – how did it become public? Because it was initially a, a private estate. 
Was it not? Yes, it was. Um, starting in uh, 1839, uh, it then was home to three generations of the DuPont family. And Henry Francis DuPont, um, who took it over from his father uh, in the 1920s, decided uh, along the way to turn it into a museum. And it was open to the public in 1951 as a museum. And he is actually responsible for expanding it to its current size of uh, nine stories and 175 rooms. So it's 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 quite an amazing place. Yes. And could you speak to for those not familiar with Winter? Could you speak to uh, how the rooms were conceived? Those hundred and seventy-seven rooms, because yes. each one is so uniquely different. Very different. And I'm going to invite Linda, who is the expert that I should talk sure. about. Please, uh, sure. Uh, provide some information. Because what, sure. what is so interesting is that Winneter um, really is a 20th century institution, and we have only relatively recently embraced the 20th story and the DuPonts living there. Um, before, in the 1950s, uh, in the late 20th century, people were looking at them as period rooms mm -hmm. of the 17th, 18th, and 19th century. And it's true that we have iconic collections of antiques from those periods, but they were put together in the 20th century by Henry Francis DuPont, who considered his rooms to be his works of art. And so they've also been overlaid with value from interior designers and artists. I always try to claim that DuPont was the first installation artist, and mm. everybody laughs at me, but I think it's true. Mm -hmm. That's what he was doing. He was a very close friend of Albert Barnes. Mm -hmm. He was very involved with the Whitney Museum and contemporary art movements. Um, and so he was really decorating with the eye of his time, but using antiques. And so we've got that kind of double thing. We've got a great 20th century story of a wealthy family who are collecting um, and displaying art. Um, but then we've also got the objects themselves, so it's it's broad. And and not only the objects within the rooms are uh, uh, acquired from around the world, but the materials to construct the rooms. Is that, yes, is that the right? architecture. The architecture was taken primarily from. Um, historic structures up and down the east coast of mm -hmm. the United States. Um, and so we are um, uh, still trying to work out how all of that happens. There's some of them that we know a lot about. There's others of them that we're, we're still finding out more. And so one of the real joys of working there is that it's a research institution. And so we're constantly learning new things mm -hmm. and sharing them with people. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, Liz, um, the the academic programs connected between Winterthur and the University of Delaware are, I mean, they're internationally renowned uh, programs. They are. They're very unique, uh, very much uh, ahead of his time. As always, uh, Mr. DuPont uh, started the uh, program in American Material Culture, uh, in which Linda is a professor uh, and leads a, a lot of that, or most of it, Linda. Please chime in on this. Uh, <laughs> that was started in 1952. Um, the other program in conservation was started in 1974. And in fact, Winterthur has graduated hundreds and hundreds of curators. Uh, a lot of the leaders in the um, decorative 
creative arts field in the United States and abroad are Winterthur graduates of the Material Culture Program, and then our conservation program has much more of an international reach, um, and there are conservators and scientists based in many of the important um, museums and research institutions around the world who Mm -hmm. are graduates of Winterthur. And I confess one of my annual indulgences as a former history teacher is to attend the, your graduate students' uh, presentations, oh, yeah. the art conservation uh, presentations, which I have always found fascinating. And I remember uh, saying to, I think it was Joyce Hill Stoner, the first year I went, I said, I had no idea I was going to be attending a day of presentations that were so science-laden. And it was just fascinating to see the combination of the arts and, and science. In, in the work that these graduate students do uh, well, and in that's our conservation. What, that's what we do, is, yeah. that, is that you need to have both of those. And, and technical analysis of, mm-hmm. of art objects is something that is a really growing field. And so we're very, very closely involved in, in that. And that's one of the reasons that we're doing the uh, Treasures on Trial exhibition. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's take a look at that. Uh, it's a nice segue into that. It's a, an exhibit that's opening on April 1st. That's right. Uh, and I assume that you have something to do with this exhibition? Yes, I'm one of the co-curators. Okay. I'm, I've been working with my uh, friend and colleague Colette Lowell, who uh, runs a company in D.C. called Art Fraud Insights. And the two of us have put our heads together and have um, come up with a lot of really great stories about fakes and, and forgeries. Um, it's, the exhibition title is really what it's about, Treasures on Trial, the Art and Science of Detecting Fakes. And so we really look at it almost as a court trial. Um, and we have a, an initial section where we talk about the intent to deceive or the motivation and what the issues are with that. We have another section that really is about evidence. We called it evidence. What kind of evidence do you need to prove whether something is either fake or genuine? Um, and then we have a section that talks about the difficulties of proof um, because sometimes it's not always easy. Um, and then the final section, which is a lot of fun, is called You Be the Judge. And there are things that the jury is still out on. Mm. And so we ask, we're ask we going to be asking people to to tell us what they think. We're going to be laying out the, the prosecution and the defense and asking people to vote to see what they think. Interesting. So there is, there's an interactive component yes. to that as yes, well. Yes, there is. Now, how did, how did, what kind of research was done to, uh, to find those cases that you're, you're presenting? Well, what we wanted to do, first of all, was to have an exhibition that was accessible to everybody. So we have a wide range of types of objects. So we have everything from old Dutch master paintings to baseball memorabilia. We've got wine, we've got fashion, we've got um, Chinese export porcelain, we've got furniture, we've got all sorts of different kinds of things to um, attract a wide range of people. And then we also wanted to make sure that people understood that this is not um, an easy thing and it's not a black and white thing. So some of our examples kind of muddy the waters. Uh, Sometimes scientific analysis is, is... really clear and you can identify something as a fake and sometimes that is not going to help you. Uh, And so we have a variety of different kinds of things chosen to make those points and to help people understand that whether or not 
a piece of art is fake is not a black and white kind of issue. Mm -hmm. Did you, I'm just curious, a thought just occurred to me, did you run across any cases where someone had purchased a piece of art only to find out later that it was not authentic? Oh, yes. And we have a quote from Henry Francis DuPont himself oh. <laughs> that says, oh, it's always so much better to find out about the fakes before you purchase them. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's fascinating. Well, I want to continue in, in looking at some of your upcoming programming, but first remind our listeners that you're tuned into Delaware State of the Arts. Here on News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV. Our guests in the studio today with us are Liz Farrell, the Manager of Public Relations, and Linda Eaton, the Director of Collections and Senior Curator of Textiles for the uh, Winterthur Museum Garden and Library. Uh, talking about the uh, Treasures on Trial, the Art and Science of Detecting Fakes, an exhibit uh, opening up on April 1st and running through uh, January of 2018. Uh, so uh, time to see that. But uh, one of the things I love about Winterthur, too, is is that uh, you can come back so many times throughout the year because with that 60 acres, I mean, the landscape looks different uh, constantly. In fact, we were talking off air beforehand about the, the, the early spring that's arriving and, and what that's doing to some of the vegetation. But that's one of the wonderful things about Winterthur is, is that because of that landscape in the Enchanted, uh, Enchanted Garden? Is that what yes, it's called? Enchanted Woods. Enchanted Enchanted Woods. Garden. Uh, just mm -hmm. so many opportunities to just see beautiful, beautiful landscaping. Absolutely. Uh, now, uh, Treasures on Trial, that is opening April 1st, but I understand that there are a couple other exhibits that are uh, reopening uh, with, with the opening uh, back on March 1st. Uh, Embroidery, the lang language Embroidery, of art. Embroidery, the language I, of art. That's one of mine. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. I did. Um, it's a yeah. it's a really inter well. I think it's an interesting exhibition. It really is about the issue of what people call art, mm -hmm. and and what people call art over time. And mm -hmm. so, if you look historically, the word art originally meant a skill. Mm -hmm. And so we look at that. But then there have been different periods of time when embroidery has been exhibited publicly and called art with a mm -hmm. capital A. Mm -hmm. And so we go through examples of that. We consider um, uh, examples of that in uh, America and in uh, London. And so we have a, an embroidery in there that was donated to us just a year and a half ago that research we just, through research on the piece, we've discovered that it was exhibited at the Society of Artists exhibition in 1776 in London. Mm. And that's the kind of thing that people just have completely forgotten about, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is a really um, uh, polemical art <laughs> mm -hmm. exhibition, uh, trying to get people to think differently about some of these things. Mm -hmm. As a former history teacher who would bring students to Winterthur, uh, could you speak to uh, embroidery just as one example of the decorative arts at Winterthur and how it's not only a demonstration of the arts, but also a demonstration of uh, social commentary and uh, historic historical documentation? Yes, because, I mean, especially because so much of it is associated with women, although not all embroiderers were women. Um, there are many embroider professional embroiderers who were male, um, but... 
very often it's the survival of those things that are passed off and passed down through families that is one of the only records of a woman's um, existence. But what it does speak to is women's education and, and as scholarship is catching up with these surviving evidence, we're knowing more and more about the level of women's education in the past. They didn't have a certificate or uh, to prove it, but they were very, very well educated um, uh, women. And then it also speaks to people who might have been forgotten. We have a very, very important um, embroidered picture done by Rachel Ann Lee, um, who was a young free black woman in Baltimore. Her mother was a laundress, which was the lowest and lowest paying and hardest um, job that you could have as a woman. Um, and she paid for her daughter to attend a school and do this picture, and she actually paid for it to be framed, and they proudly hung it in her home. So that kind of evidence is, is something that can easily be overlooked and get lost over time, and so um, it's very important. Mm -hmm. And you, you have another exhibit that's uh, going to be running through early April uh, called Striking Beauties. American shelf clocks and timepieces, which of of all the decorative arts, I have always been fascinated by clocks, and I, I think in part because of their their variety of artistic design, but also because they're functional devices, and there's something about them that I, I've just always found fascinating. Uh, a little bit about that exhibit. Yeah, they are actually scientific instruments, and so mm -hmm. the, you know the accurate accurate counting of time is something that people are still working on today, right? Mm -hmm. And so that is a show that's showing uh, a number of our smaller uh, clocks in the uh, in the collection. And one of the really exciting things about it is that we have a, a film clip on an iPad where you can watch the works going around and understand what it takes to actually make that, but then what the issues of accurate, accurate timekeeping are. So it's a, it's a fun and, and really interesting exhibition. Mm -hmm. So those are three of the, the, um, the major exhibitions, but Winterthur also has a variety of activities that are going on uh, continually, on, on a regular basis, uh, many of them oriented to families. Uh, could you speak to some of those kinds of programs? Absolutely. Well, membership at Winter Tour provides uh, all members access uh, to the estate year-round from dawn till dusk, and that includes during the two months when Winter Tour is closed to the public mm -hmm. uh, in January and February. But with our March reopening, a number of new programs are now underway that uh, are really trying to get people outdoors and we're facilitating wellness with a new wellness program that includes yoga and meditation. Uh, we have some new programs for children and family, Storytime and Enchanted Woods, and that's going to be held on the first and the third Thursdays of the month, and Family Nature Walks will be uh, held on Saturdays, uh, select Saturdays from April through June. So we, we do encourage people to go to our website, wintertour.org, for the latest additions and, and details on the programs, um, but certainly um, in the spring, we were talking a little earlier about all the buds coming up uh, a little bit earlier because of this moderate uh, winter that we've had, and so uh, March 11, the Bank to Bend celebration, which we hold annually, April will celebrate a Daffodil Day, May 13 is Azaleas and Bluebells, um, and May 21, Peonies and Primroses, yes, yeah, so April 22, Daffodil Day, um, and, and these really 
include self-guided walks, tours led by our horticultural staff, workshops, lectures, plant sales, um, activities designed just for children. And really, it's a way, I think we all know that, you know, being outdoors is good for the, it's good for the soul, it's good for the heart, it's good for the mind. And so we really uh, are embracing that and uh, encouraging uh, children, families, uh, anyone who wants to get involved in wellness. You know, we've all been kind of maybe putting off our uh, physical fitness goals. I know certainly I have. So I'm going to be taking advantage of this wellness program and just get out walking, you know, hopefully do some yoga. And uh, we really encourage everyone to come out and, and enjoy these. Now, I'm, I'm curious and I'm asking this only because of the uh, what's uh, what's been in the news a lot lately. Uh, where what is Winterthur's source of uh, sources of support? And I ask that only because of, you know, what we're hearing in the news about the National Endowment for the Arts and and you know, funding for the arts from you know public funding for the arts. How does Winterthur pay its expenses? What are, I mean, you're part of public relations. Uh, is there a development office? How does how does that work? Yes. Well, Winterthur is a 501c3 nonprofit educational uh, institution. Um, we we are a foundation overseen by a board of trustees. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there there are certainly you know is is. Uh, a part of our overall uh, operations that come from that. Mm-hmm. Um, a large share of uh, what we do is funded through our development office. Mm-hmm. Uh, very fine folks over there. Uh, Bob Davis, certainly Dr. Roselle as director of Winter Tour, has been just phenomenal uh, mm-hmm. at this institution in terms of providing endowments for numerous uh, chairs for the senior positions in curatorial and conservation. Um, and then, of course, through uh, membership and general admission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is extremely important, and as I mentioned earlier, it really is a, a beautiful uh, venue to to visit both, you know, the, the home itself, the, the exhibitions, the grounds. It's really a, a magnificent space. Uh, any final words? We've got about 30 seconds left. Uh, to, to plug Winter Tour? Well, I hope you'll come to the, the Treasures on Trial exhibition because it's going to be a lot of fun and there's going to be a lot of really exciting public programs associated throughout the year. Yeah, I, I think that's a great opportunity to to see uh, to, to see an exhibition where there's that kind of interaction and uh, back and forth and, you know, to uh, you play those guessing games and to, to, to weigh the evidence. We hope it's not Absolutely. all guessing. No, not yeah. all guessing, <laughs> but very really looking at that yes. evidence that you provide, Amazing. I think that's really... A, but evaluating the evidence. And evaluating, yes. yeah, which uh, criti- critical thinking is so important. It's, Absolutely. Uh, and it, it's a great opportunity to employ that uh, in, in the arts. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us, Liz Farrell and Linda Eaton from Winterthur Museum, Garden, and Library. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Paul. Thank you.